0: if you don't have it. So beginning in verse 19, it says, And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Verse 23. Next slide. There you go. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Let's pray. God, we thank you just for this day and for allowing us to be able to study your word here and to sing songs of praise. And God, we're grateful that uh, we don't need the most ideal of circumstances uh, to be able to praise you. God, as soon as we wake up, we have breath in our body. um, And it's a reason to get up and to give you praise. And so, Lord, uh, we want to do that here today. And, God, we want to uh, have clarity, remove distractions that would hinder us from understanding your words for us here today. And, Lord, we are just grateful for all this. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so a lot of you guys know I, – I, how about this? I can easily get labeled as a Marvel hater. I'm not a Marvel hater. Uh, in fact, some of the Marvel movies are some of my f- uh, favorite comic book movies of all time. But uh, I also have a much higher uh, scrutiny that I take to movies – uh, you should too. Uh, don't just watch stuff just because it's 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 silly, mindless entertainment. Uh, and so, uh, early MCU much bigger fan of uh, than later MCU. If you want to hear a dissertation on what problems I have, um, you know, then great. One of the most controversial th- opinions I have is that Endgame is a terrible movie. Uh, and I know I'm just going to drop that grenade and walk off. But yeah, we'll talk about that after church. Uh, I'll I'll ruin it for you. Uh, uh, we have a guy uh, in our church today that uh, or in our church that came to my house a couple months ago uh, on one of our food nights for Fellowship, Jesus. And uh, uh, he decided to step in the doo-doo of asking me, what's wrong with Avengers Endgame? And I was like, let me count the ways. Uh, And by the time I got done, he was like, man, that's actually a lot. And I was like, yeah, I know. But I digress, I digress. The first Avengers movie that came out in what, uh, the first team up was 2012-ish, something like that. great movie comes out um and it 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 changed the game for not just cinemas the first time seeing all of these major comic book characters teaming up together it was a cultural phenomenon uh, and i remember when i was watching that movie that uh it was interesting if you haven't seen the movie um it's this interesting story about this guy by the name of agent colson uh who is a side Uh, who works in SHIELD, and it's about how he rallies together to bring the Avengers together, ultimately losing his life in the middle of the movie. And that is the rallying cry. And some of you guys are like semi-tracking with me, but you're like, is the movie really about Agent Coulson? And I was like, "Uh, yeah, it is. It's about Agent Coulson, right? But that was uh, everything I talked about was kind of like part of what's in the movie. But then you're like, no, that's not really the story. And it's interesting that you say that uh, or that you feel that way. I agree with you. The movie isn't about Agent Coulson rallying the troops together, although his sacrifice and death is what ultimately gets the Avengers to stop fighting each other and go and fight against uh, Loki and the forces that are going to be invading the city of New York. Uh, His portion of the story, though, is but a footnote and a side story. And there's a much bigger story going on. Uh, And uh, as you delve deeper and deeper into the MCU, you understand that there's a bigger story. And the only reason why I say that is because oftentimes when we're looking at stories and even when we're looking at these particular statements, we miss out. We often focus on the little thing that's a side quest rather than the main mission or the main story that's being told. And that's easy for us to do here when we're looking at a story like this in Jesus saying, I am the resurrection uh, and the life. Now, what becomes important for us as we look at this is to understand the greater context of what is happening. Jesus, at the beginning of this chapter, is teaching and he is uh, uh, doing his thing in one city. When people uh, who are coming from uh, uh, Lazarus, who's a great friend of his, the brother of Mary and Martha, uh, word comes to him while he's talking that that, that, uh, that Lazarus is sick. The word comes that Lazarus is sick. Now, he could have gone immediately to Lazarus. They're like, hey, Jesus, your friend, Lazarus, is sick. And yet, Jesus doesn't immediately go. He delays. He chooses to wait. He chooses to hang out just a little bit longer. And what we find out is that as Jesus is going... And he shows up that Lazarus ultimately dies. Like in that extra time that Jesus took, Lazarus ultimately dies. Interestingly enough, in verse four, leading up to where we are here today, interestingly enough, Jesus makes the statement that this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. So Jesus understands the bigger story of what's going on, that ultimately Lazarus is going to die, but not going to stay dead. And he can make that statement because he understands who he is, even before he makes the I am statement. So Jesus hears that Lazarus is sick. He delays two days. Then they travel and go to see him. And when he goes to see them, people are weeping. Lazarus is dead. It's in this interaction of despair, in this interaction of brokenness, where Jesus makes this I am statement, that I am the resurrection. And I think that for us, as we get into the, the heart of this passage, there are going to be a couple of things that are true for us because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And it's the same truths that were present for Mary and Martha when they interacted with Jesus some 2,000 years ago. So let's walk through this relatively quickly. Because Jesus is the resurrection... And the life it can be three things. First is this: is that because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, we have a present hope. We have a present hope. Jesus ultimately comes to them. He goes to Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem, and we pick up in verse nineteen. And it says, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. At this point in time, uh, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. And so we have this very interesting interaction when Jesus shows up for Mary and Martha. And in verse 20, it says, so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said in verse 21 to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. She recognizes that no matter what her situation currently looks like. And no matter how impossible the situation looks, if Jesus is in my presence, then I have a present hope. That literally her faith in him supersedes the things that she's seeing in front of her. Now, we got to make this just a little bit more plain so that we can understand the depth of what's going on here. In the first century uh, uh, Jewish world, there were several groups and beliefs that existed. First of all, you had Pharisees and Sadducees. These two groups together made up the Sanhedrin. What becomes important? Pharisees were your religious leaders, your rabbis. Sadducees were more political leaders. But there were some very interesting distinctions between them, not just in their uh, uh, political power, but also in their belief. Pharisees believed all of the Old Testament law, first five books, plus prophetic books and, you know, the, the Old Testament uh, Jewish scriptures as a whole, one of the key f- f- uh, features in their belief is that they actually believed in the resurrection of the dead, that one day the dead would rise. Sadducees, on the other hand, being more political leaders in nature, being more practical, pragmatic in their beliefs, believed, followed the first five books Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. You can actually see this, this debate uh, 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 played out later on in the New Testament in the book of Acts. When uh, Peter and John heal the, the lame man in Solomon's Gate and they get taken before the Sanhedrin and then they preach the name of Jesus, you notice that one of the guys uh, in the Sanhedrin stands up. He's a Pharisee and he's like, look, the resurrection of the dead, that's not a problem for us. Uh, we are maybe question uh, the name of God being raised. And it, it, it shows there in like Acts chapter 5-ish. Four or five uh, that the debate between the two sides was like half the rooms like uh, resurrection of the dead. That's crazy. The other half is like, no, that's not crazy. Just is Jesus the name that can do that? So there's this very interesting belief between those two sides. You also had a couple other groups that existed. You have the zealots who were kind of like the, the, uh, the uh, revolutionaries at the time. Oftentimes we forget that when Jesus was born, Jesus was born in the first century where Israel was under Roman occupation. They could see their oppressors every single day. And so there were a group of people, much like you always have when there's oppression. Now let me forget this. Just burn this whole thing down. So the zealots, these revolutionaries. Now, interestingly enough, when it comes to them, it's believed that at least two of the disciples could have come from that uh, particular group. I didn't call them sons of thunder for nothing, uh, but they were believed to possibly, uh, or historians uh, um, uh, hint that there's a good belief that they came out of that into following Jesus. And then there's a third group and I might butcher the uh, pronunciation of this, but it's the Essenes. Uh, These people, uh, so if there's a group of people that are like super like revolutionary, fight the power, uh, then the Essenes were like, you know, kind of like your hippies, you know, Uh, uber (laughs) spiritual hippies. They lived out in the wilderness. They didn't wear fancy clothes. They were like in sackcloth and all that kind of stuff. Interestingly enough, It is believed that John the Baptist, or a lot of people point that John the Baptist had a lot of people following in that, and he himself might have been that kind of a guy. Uh, He fit the bill. He wore sackcloth. He ate locusts. He was out in the wilderness doing his thing, preaching, baptizing people. And so uh, you have these groups that exist in first century Israel. Now, the only reason why that becomes important is that for people that believed in the resurrection of the dead, take it a step further. In the Essenes, they were like praying for God to come back. You know, you know it's out just praying for God to, to do his thing. That being said, um, for those people who did believe in the resurrection of the dead, there was a very interesting belief at the time that when somebody died, their soul would hover over their body for up to three days. And in that time frame, their soul could enter back in. But in verse 17, we see that Jesus has showed up and Lazarus has been in the grave for 4 days. I want you to understand the magnitude and the context for this conversation between Martha and Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, she says in 21, my brother would ha- would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And then Jesus says in verse 23, your brother will rise again. So Mary is somebody who believes in the resurrection of the dead. And Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life. But if Jesus actually does what he's about to do to Lazarus, then it will go beyond what anybody actually thinks is possible. Because, like, there's no frame of reference for a soul being anywhere near the body four days out after. Like, that's a wrap. And yet, Martha... Is interacting with Jesus with a very present hope because she understands that if Jesus is in her presence, then there's always hope. There's always comfort. There's always uh, joy. That, 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 That literally when Jesus is here, there is a present hope. And I need for us to understand that as we are going through life, we will be faced with challenges. We will be faced with hardships that seem as though they are done. What you need to understand is that when the presence of God is in your life, then you always have hope. You always have the lifeline. You always have the ability to hold on. And you've got to have the kind of faith. That is demonstrated throughout the, the scriptures that ultimately says, I don't care what I see in front of me. The God that I serve is able. You got to have that Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego faith where they can literally look at the at a uh, at a at, uh, at, at uh, what's his name? The king, Nebuchadnezzar, there you go. Goodness gracious. Well, they can look at Nebuchadnezzar and say, look, my God is bigger than you and able to deliver me out of your hands, out of this fiery furnace. Like it doesn't matter. Look, you can turn it up extra hot. You can do whatever you're going to do. But my faith is so strong. But just like Martha and just like those three Hebrew boys, we see this interesting thing. There's always hope. But their faith isn't dependent upon God actually doing something supernatural in order for them to believe. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego say, uh, our God is able to deliver you for us from your hands. Uh, but even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down to your gods. Martha comes into this place and, she's, and when Jesus sees, comes in and she sees him and she says uh, uh, that the Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Like if you ask him. He's dead now. If you ask him, God will give it to you. But if you don't, that's okay. And so we see this play out. Verse 24, it gets even better. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Like I know it's going to happen back then or, or in the future. Like when you set all things right. But Jesus is pointing her towards the present hope that she has. So, because Jesus is the resurrection and life, first of all, we have a present hope. Secondly, we have a future hope. Martha, you want to talk about the last days? Martha said to him in verse 24, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. You have a future hope. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life, there is a future hope. She makes this incredible statement. She makes this incredible statement. I know that my brother will rise in the last day. And Jesus says... Yeah, I'm the reason why he's going to rise in the last day. Like you may understand this truth, but I'm trying to tell you I'm the one. Like it began with me. And because of me, that's the only reason why you have this. Look, think about this. She's believed this because it's been taught to her since she was a child. (laughs) But she doesn't even understand that the genesis for why she could even have that be taught to her as a child is standing in front of her right there. It's standing in front of her right there. Like it's literally just right there. And so Jesus ultimately understanding who he is ultimately lets her know I am the resurrection and life. And because I am the resurrection and the life, the future hope, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked her this incredible question. Do you believe this? There is a future hope and an assurance that when we put our faith in Jesus, we ultimately have a hope. For today and for the future that goes beyond the trials and tribulations and hardships that we have in this life that goes beyond the ups, the highs, the mountaintop experiences that we have in this life that nothing in this world can ultimately compare to because Jesus is the resurrection. We've got this greater hope that even though we die, everybody in this world will die at some point in time. But the truth is, is for those people whose faith is in Jesus, they have a hope that goes beyond the grave. I need us to understand this right now. I want you to I need you to understand this. That for those who put their faith in Jesus, the grave is nothing. It's absolutely nothing. And this is why Paul later on in the New Testament can say things like to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because even if the worst thing happens that your life is taken. What is that really to the person who holds the keys of life and death, which is Jesus. Who ultimately holds your life. And so, ultimately, I'm the resurrection life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And he ultimately poses this question that all of us have to answer. Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Do you believe that he holds all things in his hands? Do you believe that he is the one? The only one by which we can be saved. See, Jesus wasn't just saying that he's a good teacher. Jesus wasn't just saying that he was a prophet. Jesus wasn't just saying that, you know, uh, uh, I'm I'm just, you know, a a good man doing moral living. Jesus actually claimed to be God and made the statement that the little keys to life and death come through him. It's a divine statement. It's a divine claim. Now, you can just stop right there and look at the aftermath of what happens in this interaction. First of all, her answer is yes, Lord. In verse 27, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is one of the... Ten times. See this: is what happens when I don't have my notes? One of the ten times I believe uh, uh, that somebody in the New Testament makes a messianic claim about Jesus, and she makes three of them because she says, "Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world." It's incredibly important. She doesn't say yet. Yeah, just say yes, I believe. She says, "I understand." That you are who you say you are, and you came here to do what you said you were going to do. So ultimately, Jesus goes. We fast forward. He goes before Lazarus, he sees Mary. There's this incredible verse in Scripture, one of the shortest ones, where Jesus weeps. In verse 35. And then ultimately, Jesus does the unthinkable, something that honestly would terrify me. Jesus calls out to Lazarus and the dude actually got up out of the grave and started walking. I don't know about you, but uh, it's terrifying to me. I mean, maybe you guys are just comfortable around dead bodies. I remember my first funeral As a child, the first one that I really remember, uh, my friend's dad passed away. And I remember going to the funeral and sitting there and, you know, I'm a little kid and I just just, you know, like just stared at the casket. I was like, how do we know he's not just going to pop up and say, what's up? Um, and, and, you know, like it, it, it freaked me out and Haitians, we, you know, we, we gotta, we gotta leave the casket open and then afterwards go stare at it one more time. And they're like, do you want to go say, uh, uh, bye to, uh, uh, Semak and I, or Fremak? And I was like, no, sir, <laughs> I am good. I'm good. I don't, I don't want to do it. Uh, uh, and and uh and and so i didn't do it. it it terrified me and oftentimes i think we we misunderstand it's funny i was at a uh had a reception yesterday in San Antonio. And I remember sitting there having this conversation, like, do you realize how terrifying most things that we sing about are? It's actually why I don't like (laughs) Christmas and Santa Claus and all that other kind of stuff. I mean, uh, but one of the the most terrifying things in the world is actually Frosty the Snowman. I don't know if you realize, but Frosty is a horror story, Uh, literally paranormal activity or something under the sun. I need you to think about this. Some kids are playing in the snow. And they decide to make a snow man. <laughs> they're being cute with it. You can imagine little five, six, seven-year-old kids playing in the snow. And they're like, you can have a carrot nose and some button eyes and you know, a little mouth smiling and all that kind of stuff. And at some point in time, because of a magic hat, the snowman gets up and starts walking. And it's like, hey, guys, how's it going? Terrifying. Terrifying, Absolutely. You know how I know it's terrifying? Everybody says like, oh, that would be cute, cool. No, it wouldn't. Y'all ever see that viral video uh, of pranks that parents were doing on the kids? And if, for those of you that have kids, um, try this. Uh, I've thought about it with my own kids, but I might give them nightmares for years. But they had those giant bears. You can get them off Amazon where you hide inside this big white bear. And then it's just sitting in the living room. And then when your kids come by, you just kind of twitch a little bit and then you know they're like did that move no and the next thing you know eventually like the bear just gets up and starts walking and kids everywhere parents filming themselves doing this for their kids just screaming all over the place ah, ah, ah. and i'm like yes that's exactly what would happen if your snowman started walking and talking but it didn't just end there because at some point in time these kids made a snowman and then like the sun came out and murdered him <laughs> And so literally in front of these kids' faces, poor little seven-year-old Johnny or Malik or whatever their kids, these kids' names were, were, are playing with the snowman. The snowman melts in front of their eyes. And as he's melting to his death, goes, I'll be back. Like, no, no, no. No! No, 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 no. I'm telling you, every single time everybody starts saying, Frosty, this is not like, y'all better get that devil juju out of here. I'm not listening to that. I'm not teaching my kids that foolishness. We're not playing that game. And so, like, I I just, for me, every time I read this part of the scriptures, I need you to understand. Think about it. Some of the people sitting outside of the tomb were the people that wrapped him up. The people that did all the stuff that cleaned him, that pronounced him dead, that were there. They were wailing one minute and next Next thing you know, the guy that was actually dead and has been dead for four days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, like he's been in the grave, just gets out and it's like, what's up? And Jesus demonstrates his power. And I need us to understand that Jesus literally said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And then he looks at somebody who's dead and just says, get up. And they got up. Because even death must obey him. That ought to encourage you. Because if God isn't done with you yet, then it's not over. There's an old gospel song that says it's not over until God says it's over. The converse is true, but when God says it's done, it's done. That's what it means to have the powers of life and death in his hand. So I'll close out by saying this. So first of all, you see uh, the faith and belief that others have. But the last thing towards the end of this is that you see, if you were to keep going in verse 45 uh, all the way through to the end, you see that this was no small statement. And this was no small miracle. Because this particular uh, miracle and I am statement is what led to the plot to kill Jesus during Passover. Some people heard what Jesus said and believed. Others rejected not just him, but had to lash out against the message. And Jesus, understanding all of this, still chose to do what he did. Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. You have a present hope. You have a future hope. And you ultimately have a sacrificial king who does not care what he loses in order to pursue his will. And you ought to be grateful today that his love caused him to die for your sins so that you can have life. Because anyone who believes in him, though they die, they shall live.